Welcome to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. I'm Stephen McGregor. This is episode 16, Calculating a Return on Wellbeing. This is the second part in the SAP case that we started last month with the Chief Happiness Officer role, uh, which is also the kickoff of the, the new format. So if you're a first time listener, we have this podcast uh, either on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts, wherever you may be listening. And it's also accompanied by a 1000 word article and a one minute video uh, on YouTube. But all those three media are brought together on the European Business Review. So depending on the time that you have available perhaps, or just your own preferences for consuming content in this age, then hopefully there is a, it's a good option for you. Um, more details on the episode in, in a few minutes. Uh, I just wanted to catch up briefly on the, where we are here in Barcelona. I promised some news in, in the last episode and it was of course a three or four month gap. Um, it, it turned out good for the SAP case because we're looking a month later uh, whereby we had six months between recording both of these interviews. So we're looking at the reframing as we talk about it in the first few moments of the interview of that of that pilot. Um, so we're looking at their own journey over the first six months in, in SAP. Um, if you had listened before, I even talked about this interview in episode 12 when we uh, uh, we interviewed Paul Hughes from the Centre for Creative Leadership. I said, look, episode 13 coming up at SAP. I hope it's not unlucky. And it was to um, it was actually pretty unlucky, if I can put it in such a glib way, um, with our uh, beloved sheepdog being diagnosed with cancer uh, on the day that I was going to interview in, in, in SAP. And, and she very sadly... Uh, passed away just before Christmas. So it's been a pretty tough time, you know, if anyone um, has had a dog and you can really understand that you really do lose a member of the family, um, but then you have that contrast with that nagging feeling in the back of your head that it's only a dog, right? And I've been reading some articles uh, that were published, it was New York Times, it picks up a lot in this theme. Um, and that, that's, that's the kind of the, the feelings that a lot of people have, right? That, that sadness and, and that guilt. But she really was a really beloved member of the family. We involved her in the lab to a degree. We, we called her chief barking officer for a laugh and she appeared in a couple of videos. But she really was the kind of heart and soul um, of, of the home. And, you know, even if you just look at right, it's not a human being, but, you know, every day of your life for over a decade is marked by certain behaviours and habits, even just walking the dog and taking care of her and all these different things. So we really, really miss her and it was a tough time. Um, you know, work went on, of course, December and the first three, four months of, of, of this year, and we we're very fortunate to have worked with um, some great companies and, and good clients, you know, Oracle, Santander, uh, who else, uh, McKinsey, Continental um, and also teaching IE Business School, Master of Students and, and Executive MBA. So it's been a good year so far, but I just didn't have that energy to put into extra creative endeavours. Um, so we came back last month with a new format and, and raring to go again, um, but really miss Harry. Anyway, moving on, a um, couple of things just quickly, you know, we don't have open programs as such people have asked over the years, that may change soon, but most of what we do is custom designed for our clients. Uh, there is an event coming up in Amsterdam, 27th of June, I'll be there co-hosting with FT journalist 
Helen Barrett, who's the editor of House and Home. If you get FT Weekend, you'll be familiar with that supplement. Um, and that's for HR professionals in Amsterdam. Um, so more details, I'll, I'll put that out on social media um, in the coming weeks. Uh, if you're in the area, that might be of interest. Uh, and we're also starting a community of interest in well-being. So if you work for a multinational company um, based in Barcelona, but also in, in other areas of Spain, Madrid or, or, or other cities, um, then you're more than welcome to come to Barcelona in September. Uh, we'll be kicking that off initially with the support of SAP. They'll be very kindly hosting that first event. So it's for people with an interest in well-being um, in a large company. And it's just for people to get together to discuss challenges, discuss uh, good practice, open questions. There is no cost associated whatsoever with attending, just your own expenses for, for getting there. It will be catered for by the host. Um, there'll be no selling at the event either. Um, it's just a, a group to discuss and, and, and build that sense of community. Um, and the only you know initial focus that we have is that you do work in a large company because you have that that challenge of trying to fit in well-being in a large complex business um, where you're always looking at business case and and things like that. But you know things are changing, and I think there's so much that any organisation can can share. So if you are interested in that, there'll be more details being put out on social media in the in the coming weeks and months. But please do get in touch if if that sounds of interest. Right, to this episode, a great discussion with Toby Haug again after the last episode. And we are joined with Daniel Markwick, who's a, a fellow at SAP. And both of these guys go back a long way. They, you know, they, they, they were founding members of the renowned SAP App House, which is a center of excellence. Uh, Heidelberg started, it's now Palo Alto, Berlin. Uh, Korea, uh, New York, um, uh, and and SAP also go back a long way in the history of of design thinking. When I was at Stanford in two thousand and one, it was just a couple of years before the Design Institute was formed, with a grant, um, thirty five million dollar grant um, from Hassel Plattner, right, the co founder of SAP. So SAP and and design thinking. You know they do um, have have this history, and we trace some of that in the article that you'll find on the European Business Review. And we talk about how design thinking is used to get to this calculation of the financial benefits. So well-being, so the quality of analysis is looking at an employee journey map and the emotional states of the staff in commercial sales in Barcelona, Cairo, and Dublin. And you know, positive states and negative states. How you know the first year, for example, a very difficult first year in the organisation, learning um, how to sell. You know these technical solutions, building relationships, uh, the stress that comes from that, moving to a new country, perhaps, um, and also the opportunities in terms of learning and growth. Um, so really looking at this well accepted methodology with some design thinking, which puts the the user normally at the centre. But here, what we're doing, and as Daniel mentions in the interview, we are keeping the employee in focus, not just checking the box. Um, so I think that's a really fascinating way of approaching well-being, and, and in a broader sense, and a more positive sense. You know, in terms of calculating the benefits of well-being, it's often been on a narrow program level um, over the years, or looking at the negative case of um, absenteeism or sickness. But here we're looking at 
um, the positive case in terms of increased tenure, um, growth uh, and learning and just a more positive culture and environment. So it's about a more, um, you know, creating a, a culture of well-being. Um, we do move to some of the financial benefits and as Toby mentions in the interview, one month extra tenure, so increasing the longevity of an experienced member of staff um, creates a, a benefit of over 3 million euros. And very conservatively, um, you know, in total, by looking at the small interventions and well-being and creating that more positive culture, then they have benefits of over 10 million euros that they can show. So it really is a good mix of taking design thinking as a methodology, looking at experience, looking at emotional states, and housing that within a sales organisation which has a big focus on the numbers day-to-day, -day, on revenue. So they have a lot of data there that they can play with, uh, and, they're, and they're really you know, having a clear view on how these small interventions can show a financial benefit of well-being. And just a last point, um, it's not about creating a movement and as, as Toby says at the end, they're waiting for global magic to happen, but the answer really is, or the power really is on a local level. So it's really about empowering these local entities to find, let's say, their own magic recipe or what works for them in their culture of well-being. Okay? Um, that's a bit it from me. Um, I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for checking in and listening again. Uh, and I'll be back next month. We'll be digging in a little bit further into culture with, uh, with Santander. Okay? So enjoy this one. Uh, keep well, amigos. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're back at SAP. We're back at the beach six months later. Uh, and the question for Toby is, are you still happy? <laughs> happy, of course, but also with some new challenges to tackle. So what's been, so six months later um, from the start of the pilot, what, what's been the reframing? What's, what's been going on essentially in those, la in those six months? Yeah, I, I think the, the most important term in that sentence is reframing. Uh, when we first started, we started uh, with a direction in mind, but we really had to listen to where the organization was, and that caused us in the last six months to have to step back and reframe the challenge that we we're trying to solve based on where the organization was uh, at that point in time. So as you might remember, we started off by uh, kicking off the happiness at work initiative, we realized pretty quickly and also through the feedback from the organization that speaking about happiness, especially in an organization that is very much sales driven, was not, uh, I mean, people understood what we were aiming for and it felt like a very lofty goal, but it wasn't encompassing the entire experience from the employee side and that they very much had, uh, had a very broad uh, uh, challenge ahead of them and we were not with the happiness topic approaching it from the right direction. So we reframed the question and we renamed our initiative now humanizing business. So really looking at all those human aspects and how can we amplify them in our daily business. And that seems to have really uh, to hit the mark with the employees, with the management, even outside of SAP where we're trying to make this change present. Yeah. So we've now reframed it uh, to be humanizing business. Now that's great because I think even in the, the last episode we touched on the importance of 
uh, as you said, their experience and, of course, your own experience within design thinking. So mm -hmm. design thinking was a very important tool, I guess, in that, in that reframing mm -hmm. um, and looking at the experience journey of, of the employees here in sales. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So I guess this, was, this has been your focus, right, Daniel, the last six months. Can you tell us a couple of things about what, you, what you've done here and what you've discovered? Yeah, definitely. Um, the general approach to mapping people's experiences is something that we took uh, from service design uh, using a tool called Employee Journey Map, uh, where we try to uh, map the emotional state of people over their stint at the organization um, to, to basically see if there are um, times that in general um, lead to a very positive experience and of course uh, finding the uh, negative experiences in the uh, in their stay with the organization so that we have an understanding of uh, where and when to uh, come in and uh, try to to change the experience for the better yeah and and, and in that i mean what, what are you finding of you found a generally positive result in emotions from people? Does it differ according to even, I don't know, nationality, experience, time in the company, anything that you can share? Um, very much all of those. So um, we've been doing this in three different locations we have. So in Dublin, here in Barcelona, and also in Cairo. Um, and uh, you see very different experiences over time in the different locations, coming from very different sources. Um, so one is, of course, the general culture, where we see that we have a very uh, Middle Eastern culture in Cairo, whereas in um, Barcelona, we bring in people from um, all over Europe and Africa. So it's a, a much um, stronger mix of different um, cultural influences. Um, we also see that, for example, the relative youth of people in um, Barcelona, or let's say inexperience in a sales job, um, impacts their perception of highs and lows in their professional lives, uh, much more than people in Dublin, for example, who have in general for, for our organization more experience and so have more, um, uh, have, have developed uh, a certain calm about extreme um, occurrences. Um, so yes, you, you have a lot of different influences on the experience and it's also something where luckily we were able to um, identify a few things that at least per location are pretty common mm -hmm. and we can tackle those. No, it's fascinating. It's, um, I guess as we get older we all become a bit more emotionally stable maybe <laughs> or we're less susceptible to the... We like to think so. <laughs> exactly, to the highs and lows of, of our jobs. You know, happiness was the term that you started with, and if you're thinking of emotions uh, and and positive and negative emotions, of course, you know, did you measure happiness? What other states did you did you look at? The the biggest thing um, that you see is the the general level of stress and uh, discomfort with um, yeah having different. Um, 
pressures over the course of a year in, in a sales organization. Um, so I guess the, the stress, but also on a positive side, the learning opportunities, the growth opportunities are really important factors to, to figure in here. Yeah, that's interesting. Is it what you expected, Toby, from the results of this uh, journey mapping? Uh, to be honest, I didn't know what to expect. Um, I think it was for us incredibly important to involve the organization, involve the employees, the management. So we really looked at this in a nuanced view. So per location, different roles, um, looking at the cultural aspects. So this was something brand new and it was a new reflection of the organization upon itself. So to be honest, I think this is the first time that the organization had seen this. And because it's for Daniel and myself also a new organization, we didn't quite know what to expect either. But this involvement from the employees, we also present all the results back to the employees. So this is not happening in enclosed rooms. We're being very transparent about this. So we're starting an open dialogue with the employees about their experience. And it's a fascinating, uh, experience, uh, yeah, everything's an experience, is a fascinating moment for the organization to start talking about not just what they do, but how they do it and how they're experiencing it. That's great. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's having a conversation, right? And it's increasing that self-awareness. Um, and I think our happiness and our well-being it, it can benefit from just more self-awareness and our patterns of behavior and it was impacted by the company. I would imagine in that journey mapping, there would be certain things that are out with the control of SAP, right? There'll be other factors there depending on the location and things. So you're inputting that, that'd be interesting. But another thing, what, what are you then doing with these results? Are you redesigning the experience? Are you changing the touch points for people? What are the kind of main actions for you as a result of this analysis? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, there's a change of, um, of the touch points coming. Um, the thing is that a lot of the um, challenges we see is mostly a breakdown of communication or some kind of um, difficult um, expectations. Um, so it's, it's very much a lot about um, setting expectations for employees over time and also to figure out how different parts of the organization can um, work better together to keep the employee in focus and not just um, check the boxes in, in their processes. Um, that's not really unexpected, but the extent to which really small changes could change the experience for the better is something that surprised me at least. I'd add to that that um, uh, one example of that is um, the first, don't forget, this organization is where a lot of people start their careers and start their, their journey as sales professionals. Um, and that first year is massively uh, complicated. Uh, we're not talking about an easy sell. We're talking about complex, also relationships, the technology behind it um, in different countries. So these people have a very, very challenging first year. And that comes across very clearly in the employee journey map. So therefore, part of the discussion that we're having is how can we recreate um, that first year experience by potentially 
um, establishing new roles in the sales organization that the people who are longer there that are more experienced actually start actively taking on and being honored for taking on a more coaching type of role mm. thereby making that first year experience better sharing experiencing and also at the end of the day all of this actually has provable uh, quantitative uh, numbers behind it how it really positively impacts the organization now that's great so in practical terms this could then result in changes in onboarding and uh, mentorship mm-hmm. in the coaching relationship and help and relocation packages and, oh, and, and all of these things right yeah. so very practical issues that you can then justify and then and then as you're saying later then then measure yeah. right but people do um often they look at it just through their perspective of their experience without understanding the complexity behind it. Like you're just talking about onboarding, hiring, uh, relocation. All of these are on their own quite complex and also legal uh, um, uh, pieces of a process. From an individual's perspective, they don't often see or understand that complexity. So part of, part of the challenge for us is to make sure that all that complexity works well together, is better communicated uh, to, to employees um, so that they know what's coming and why. Um, so it's much more how do the pieces work better together. Yeah, I'm sensing here um, the goal... Um and, and the real value here, right? And I, maybe there's an issue here of just retaining talent so that people, for example, when they come in, they have this very difficult first year, especially if they're inexperienced. You know, I don't know what levels of, of, of job rotation there are, but in sales, it, it can be quite volatile, I'd imagine. So what you're doing is you're, I don't know, you're increasing loyalty, you're, you're retaining talent, you're building on people, and that's going to just have a stronger workforce and a stronger commercial sales function at the end of the day, right? right. And then there's going to be very, many benefits from that, right? So I'm going to take the next step and say, based and, and highly informed by the um, qualitative research from the employee journey map, we then added um, real numbers. We looked at the organization through the numbers it produces. And this was surprisingly easy based because we're in a sales organization. Everything is numbers based. But we could relatively quickly match the phases of the employee journey to different phases of productivity. So when we talk about um, uh, the hiring or recruiting phase, for instance, we can see easily in our region how many open positions do we have. Open positions equals territories that are not being covered, which means loss of revenue. So if we can just do a small improvement in the hiring, finding better talent faster and bring that into the organization, we can map that to how much money and how much revenue does that uh, increase for for, uh, commercial sales, for this Mm -hmm. part of the sales organization. The same thing when it comes to what sales likes to call uh, time to revenue. So we'll say in the employee experience that has more to do with the first year experience, how quickly do they become fully proficient in their jobs? And that's where you see that curve can actually take quite a bit of time. And every time that we have more coaching, not just training, but really coaching in that moment in complex deals for those people, how much faster they learn, that speed actually translates to more revenue. Hmm. And for instance, I'll give you a concrete example. We, we like to talk about about um, retention. But retention also means those people are at their top of their productivity, usually when they leave. 
we did a calculation that if we, in this small piece of SAP's sales organization, if we could increase the average tenure by one single month, so nothing extreme, just one month, that alone in this piece of, of the sales um, uh, world of SAP would translate to about three and a half million euros revenue. So anything that we're doing that can keep people longer in this organization, but still maintaining that they are growing, they are learning, they're, they're exceeding in their, their jobs, they're being successful. These are the things that help people and want uh, to, to create an environment where people wish to stay. It has a very, very direct bottom line uh, um, impact for the business. That's amazing. That's the, that's the real value of engagement right there, yes. right? Because I think well-being over the years, there has been attempts at measuring the kind of dollar or euro value of, of well-being, but it's been very narrow. It's been, mm-hmm. it's been looked at a program and it's looked at, you know, smoking cessation programs or looking at weight management for employees, but it kind of backfires in many mm-hmm. ways, right? Mm-hmm. And there's been a bit of a backlash there recently. And I think if we can take this broader view, not just looking at the negative case on absenteeism, but you're looking at, as you say, productivity, engagement, and it's a simple thing, extending tenure, right? Mm-hmm. So that you're not going out and having that very complex, you know, recruitment process again, bedding someone in and just exploiting the knowledge of mm-hmm. someone. And I think that's fascinating. You know, Daniel, for you, and, and looking at that tool of, you know, accepted methodology within design thinking and service design, you know, was that something new for you also in, in terms of that? You know, I'm just thinking here, is it, was it a match made in heaven, have, you know, having this design thinking methodology, bring it into sales, which is kind of new for both you and Toby, but just measuring the euro value, is it just an opportunity here for sales or is that something that you guys have done before in the journey mapping and design? Um, we've, we've done that before, but more in a, in a customer context. So it's the first time for us to actually look at our own organization and um, try to figure out how to improve our own people's uh, situations or lives with, with that methodology. Um, and it's, it's, it wasn't unexpected, but still it's really um, rewarding to see that it has that big of a potential to, to help us um, with especially retention and also growth of people. So what's next? What, what, what are you thinking next? I mean, this is quite an exciting, even that that concrete example is quite an exciting finding. I don't know if that really did excite the board and the, and the real top-level sponsors for this initiative. Mm-hmm. What, what, what are you thinking next? Just keep... Yeah. If so, you can share that, of course, right? So, <laughs> um, it... That business case, that matched the qualitative and quantitative numbers. Um, At the end of the day, we could easily show through these various metrics a almost 10 million euro revenue impact by creating, not not by hiring more people, not by uh, um, increasing their sales output, but simply by creating an environment and uh, creating an experience for the employees that, um, uh, that supports them. So that was a huge step for us. It- well, this is the thing. So did- is this going to give you more budget for the for the initiative? So it, it, it definitely did put us on the map. It definitely, uh, where a lot of um, this initiative at the beginning was a pilot. We were trying new things. People weren't quite sure what we were doing, what was going to come out of it, which is perfectly fine. This was the first time after six months where we really could concretely say, look, here's 
concrete evidence of what we need to do and and what the positive impact of that is. Like you said, we were, we were not working from um, theory. We had enough of that. As you know, you can speak a lot about well-being and topics. You can hear stories from other companies. You see data coming from Gardner and other um, firms who are talking about the the, the often the negative effect of uh, not looking at at well-being topics, so absenteeism and so on. But we were really looking at it as the positive effects. So if we do these things to create an environment, a healthy environment, and one that is um, uh, uh, focused on the employee, we are actually increasing the revenue without adding more effort. So that alone got recognition, not from just from our management team, but other parts of SAP as well. So this was really taken into many different forms saying, wow, we're, we're for the first time seeing numbers based on uh, qualitative and quantitative numbers in our own environment. So not just external. And what I really like about putting the numbers and the experience map um, side by side is that you can see that what helps us improve um, people's experience with the organization, um, supporting growth, supporting learning, is actually the same thing that also improves the numbers. And so um, it's, it's a win-win situation that hasn't been that obvious before. And, and this is something where I think that's, that's also a big lever that we have with the initiative. And it fits so well with what design thinking does, right? Because design thinking and most of your, both of your experience, and you mentioned it earlier, Daniel, is about putting the, the person in the middle, right? So mm -hmm. it's normally the, 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 the target, the, the customer. In this case, it's the employee, but it really is materially putting the employee at the center and creating that environment mm -hmm. by which they can thrive, right? If we, if we take a term of, of, of previous research at Ross School of Business, particularly in the benefits that they found, of employees who can thrive in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So in many ways, this is very broad and, 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 and maybe it's beyond, is it beyond well-being, let's say? I mean, is this just culture? It's the culture of SAP? I mean, mm -hmm. what, what are your thoughts there? Uh, we're definitely moving beyond happiness, beyond well-being, and really interested in how to get to that level of culture. But I think there's many steps along that journey. I think we're starting with setting up the basics of what every organization needs. So not just the employee experience, but also some of the organizational uh, topics around communication, transparency, and so on. Once we have those things in place, including a strong well-being uh, aspect, because we want to make sure that the employees, not just that their working experience is good, but that they're also being supported holistically as, as human beings. We're also starting this year several um, initiatives like leveraging the SAP Work Life tool, which is done with Thrive Global, really looking at the physical and mental um, uh, health of employees and giving them the timely uh, support that they need. So we hope to get that basis done this year, really focus on that. So making sure that all those components from the employee's perspective are done, and then we're going to start building up more around the culture. Um, talking about autonomy, leadership, uh, talking about ownership. Uh, so starting to change the dynamics a bit, but still keeping the focus on the human and the employee in the middle. Yeah. And in that, in that respect, is the 
is there a danger? Do you sense a danger? If I mean, you have the balance of measuring on a qualitative and a quantitative level. Is there a danger when there is that drive of showing the benefit through measurement? Mm. Does it get, you know, pulled in another direction? It pulls it away from, you know, well-being of people and just about making more money, for example. So I'm going to be perfectly honest. I think there's always going to be a challenge in a capitalistic society of balancing business needs versus the needs of the individual. Uh, we're living in a in a world now where because of the economy, because of the changing demographics, the needs of the individual and of the team is becoming more and more relevant for a business. So we're seeing, I think, a, a balancing act right now. In the past, it was much more towards the business aspects where people and their well-being was were getting put on the back burner. Now we're able to show the benefits of both. I don't think it's going to tip to the other degree. Um, so I think if we can continue setting up a system where both the individual and the business thrives, then we've reached the right balance point. Um, we're hoping to do that in the future when we talk about measurement to continue uh, using the employee journey map and those feedback structures for qualitative um, uh, feedback. We have set up a pulse check so that we're always listening to, to employees and also uh, using that as a um, as a measurement, not as a goal, just to see where are we as an organization um, and if we are improving. So we're asking regularly questions around the feeling of transparency and, and understanding if um, decisions are transparent, if people understand how uh, decisions are made. We're talking about leadership, we're talking about trust. Um, and these are just being used and established as a constant feedback. And I think that's one of the things that we've definitely learned from, from our experience in use, leveraging design thinking is how important feedback loops are. Again, we're going to keep our, our, our focus also on the numbers, but between those two things, I think we're going to have a good balance. Yeah, because I think even being in sales, that's the real acid test, mm -hmm. right? Is, yeah. You know, what is the sweet spot for employees who are engaged and motivated, but because they are driven by targets, mm -hmm. they, you know, they work too many hours a week, for example, and they burn out, right? Yeah. And, and I'm having many of these conversations, you know, um, and, and, you know, SAP and, and, and it's this world where, you know, other companies, right? if I can mention Salesforce, Oracle, mm -hmm. Digital, you know, a mm -hmm. lot of people are in this kind of domain just now. What is the sweet spot between, yeah, putting in the hours, putting in the work, but yeah. still getting the results and keeping ahead? You and know? I think that's the story. That's, that's what we all have to start talking about. I don't care about which, from which company this is coming. The more companies that start having this conversation, the more we're moving the needle towards becoming a more humanistic society. And that's, I think, what we're hoping to do. It has to be balanced, of course, with business relevance. Um, I don't know many businesses on, on this global scale that are completely altruistic, but I do believe that there is a, um, uh, a way to balance both. Um, additionally, I would also say that we are, uh, we are in the sales organization because, and we're running this pilot so that we can have easy access to those numbers. Donnie and I have spoken a couple times about, man, you know, our last teams, they were around innovation. This would have been very difficult to get this in a different context of business. So I think what we're doing here is we're piloting an idea. We are well suited uh, to, to find that qualitative and quantitative uh, topics. But I imagine the next step will be, how do you do something similar in a different type of organization that might not be as revenue driven and as numbers driven as, as we are right now? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. No, that's fascinating. And I guess just to finish, and for, for each of you, you know, and, and just looking at a possible future scenario or, or, or a wish for how this turns out, anything in, anything in mind, what would you like to see? I don't know, is it 12 months down the line and you can just put your feet up and this is a massive <laughs> movement within the company? Or what do you think, Daniel? Um, yeah, of course, it would be nice to see uh, this propagate through the organization. But I think the most important thing is, um, as, as Toby mentioned, we're doing this pulse check and doing redoing the um, journey map over time again and again and see that there are improvements, that people uh, spend more time on the um, high happiness levels of growth and, and learning and um, get farther away from the negative um, stressful periods. I mean, it's, it's totally fine to have positive uh, stress, but that kind of stress that pushes you towards burnout is definitely something that I would like to not see anymore in the next few research uh, projects. I would, I would say my, I'm gonna go a little bit more theoretical. I think um, my concern is when things become big and global and centralized, we move towards a, um, a culture of mediocrity. So what I'm really hoping for is that we are building such a strong case that each team in their location feels that they can be empowered to take ownership for their own culture, for their type of leadership, for the environment that they're creating for their employees, and not to wait for some sort of global magic to happen. Mm. Um, we are working closely with all these global organizations, um, and without them we would have massive challenges, but I do not believe that this is going to ever become a global answer. And to, to support this, the, the research we have definitely tells us that it's very local. You even in the same organization with our three um, local um, offices, you see that from office to office, you have very different um, experience mixes, very different previous experiences, and thereby very different current experiences. And, and so, uh, general um, aligned mediocre approach won't cut it yeah. I don't think so so local success um, that becomes more viral um, instead of it being seen as a lighthouse that we now try to uh, spread everywhere so I'm really hoping not to lose that that very personal side of, of what we're doing excellent well, wishing you the best of luck. It's really exciting times for that. All it's the best guys. Business. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks.